Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And if you've been listening to this show, you know I am a huge fan of this week's guest, Jason Reynolds. I first got to sit down with Jason in fall 2019 to discuss his book, Look Both Ways, which you can hear on episode 89 of this show. We've since done numerous Instagram lives and have remained in touch over the years. And Jason is finally back to the stacks to discuss his newest book, Ain't Burned All the Bright, which he co-created with his dear friend, Jason Griffin. In addition to talking about the book, we talk about grief, competition, feelings, snacks, and so much more. Our January book club pick is Passing by Nella Larson. We will be discussing the book on this show on Wednesday, January 26th with Cree Miles. To stay connected with all things The Stacks, to get inside access to the show and hear bonus episodes, join The Stacks Pack by going to patreon.com slash The Stacks. You can also get our incredible reading tracker all the way until the end of January. Then it's gone for the year. So head to patreon.com slash The Stacks. And I want to give a quick shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack. That's Leslie Santamaria, MG, Kaylee Brown, Lisa Cooley, Javi Morales, Allison Hyatt, Cosette Audi, Jenny D, Ali Messick, and Anne. This is an independent podcast, which means without the support of listeners like everyone I just named and the rest of the Stacks Pack, there would be no The Stacks. So thank you all so much. And please head to patreon.com slash The Stacks to join. Okay, okay, okay. Now let's get to my conversation with our great good friend, Jason Reynolds. All right, everybody. I am, as I always say, so excited, but I'm extra excited today because I get to bring back a friend, I think, and a friend of the podcast for sure, the wonderful, incredibly talented, lovely Jason Reynolds. Welcome back, Jason. Thank you. Hi, Tracy. It's good to be here. I'm so excited. So we're going to talk about your newest book, which is called Ain't Burnt All the Bright. And it is something that you wrote and then you have illustrated with your dear friend, Jason Griffin. And it's sort of a really special book. I'm very emotional. I already cried. So I'm going to try not to be too emotional on this episode, but I'm having a shit day. And so I might just bring a little emotion into today's episode. But 30 seconds or so, just can you tell everybody about the book? It's about 2020 and how 2020 was a year that um, was constantly trying to suffocate us. And in the midst of us searching for oxygen masks in big places, we realized in 2020 that all of our oxygen masks were all around us in the minutia of our lives. That's Mm. it. Okay. I loved this book. I immediately messaged you after I finished and was like, I'm very emotional over here. I just, it really took me. It's, the art is so cool. The words on the page, just everything visually about it is just so special. I'm wondering, I know you guys talk about this at the end of the book, but for people who haven't read it yet or haven't gotten there, can you kind of give us a sense of like where you got the idea for the book? And I guess the companion question to that is also, was this book ever something else? And did it become something different? Because <laughs> that's super interesting. Yeah, this was something else. So like Jason and I have been working together for 20 years. You know, we've been, I mean, that's how I got in the industry. He was, my first book with Harper was with him. And and 
after that, we weren't able to do anything else. We've tried. We have tons of books that have been <laughs> hidden, tons of all this work that's sort of tucked away in our shelves. Um, we just couldn't figure out how to land another one and, and figure it out and make another thing. But we never stopped working just because we make art because we like to make art, you know. Um, and so we had gotten a new deal for this book about a box. Okay. And and so like this is weird. we we were like yo we're gonna make a book about this box right and like the and the whole premise was like yo we should tell a story about how everybody has a box and in that box are all the things that we don't want to talk about and then we push that box into the corners of our mind and then we stack all kinds of things in that box on on, on top of that box so that to make sure that we never actually have to go and open the box so we had this whole idea around like unpacking that box to see what's actually in the box but it wasn't working we couldn't figure out how to make it. Mm how to make it go, you know? And then 2020 happened and it became even harder to make that book work mm. because, I mean, you know how, I mean, 2020 was a year where none of us could put it together, mm-hmm. you know? Even, I mean, it was the first time in a very long time where my creative energy just wasn't, I was like, I don't have it. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, isn't there. So we were talking and we were, he and I would have these weekly phone calls just as friends, just to check in and like, how's therapy going? How's your kids, house, you know, like all right, the things right, right. That, that we talk about. And he was like, man, I'm keeping this little notebook and I'm jotting, I'm just like sketching in my little, this tiny pocket sized moleskin. And that's kind of my, you know, it's been like an oxygen mask to me. And this is the moment where I'm like triggered and I'm like, oh, like, let me call you back. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I got this idea, but like, let me sleep on it. I call you tomorrow. I'll tell you what I think about it. And he's like, bro, we got another book to write. Like, we're writing this box book. We need to figure this out. And I'm like, I know, but like, I got this other thing. Mm-hmm. And so I called back the next day and I'm like, bro, when you look at 2020, you look at the wildfires, you look at George Floyd, tear gas, COVID, everything attacks the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. Every single thing in 2020 physically attacked the respiratory system. So that's the first thing I was thinking about. The second thing I was thinking about was this idea of the oxygen mask. If we are all out of breath, if we are all sort of under a strange asphyxiation, where does one find oxygen? And then the third thing I was thinking about is that when you are having a panic attack or when you are uh, feeling like you're losing your grip, everybody, every parent on earth has told their child to take deep breaths. And usually those deep breaths either going to fall between two numbers, right? Either they're going to say take 10 or they're going to say take three. And, and and that's supposed to get you back to some place of equilibrium. So this book is the literary manifestation of three deep breaths. I was it was written as three long sentences. This is not a poem. People people are calling it that, but it's actually three run-on sentences that I removed the punctuation from. Mm. Right. So it's literally presented when I gave it to him. It was three long sentences, and uh, broken up into three breaths, laying out COVID, laying out. Uh, the, the uprising, and also laying out where the oxygen masks really are, what they've actually been. Okay. I have a lot of follow-up questions. There's a lot of questions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> My first one is, what's the difference between three long sentences without punctuation and a poem to you? So I, I, I'll i tell you why I did it this way. I, okay. I, I, so like the reason why I didn't want to present it as a poem in its traditional sense, right? As like verse and stanza, right? right? Is because it would because when I gave it to Jason, it would put Jason in a tricky situation because he wouldn't want to break the language up because the language is already broken, right? And so I didn't want to write it as like in in that sort of way. I wanted him to have the freedom to break the language up however he saw fit for the best sort of execution of this of this piece. The other thing though is I think there's something really special given the context of this particular work something really special about a run-on sentence. Mm. There's something really special about the idea that a thing can keep going, mm-hmm. you know, right? That, that mm-hmm. the thing that, a thing that has flow, a thing that, that doesn't actually end, right? right. Even though uh, we thought it was all going to end, it doesn't, things don't end. They don't end, right? right? right. Even when they do, they don't. Right. Right. right? <laughs> they don't end, you know? We're going to get to that. Another <laughs> follow-up question. You said that you kind of lost your creative drive or force in 2020, were you doing something to get it back? Did it come back? Do you feel like it's back? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look, I wrote Stunt Boy in 2020. Yeah. Right? So, like, it, so like, I've, so what I had to do, there were a few things that had to happen. One, I had to write outside of, I had to write, uh, approach it, approach a different sort of genre or form or category, right? And so Stunt Boy was a very different thing. And it required less 
language, more thought, less language. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have the energy to produce. I mean, I also wrote a whole novel right. uh, in 2020. It's just a terrible novel, though. So I have to <laughs> rewrite it. You know what I mean? So like, I wrote a whole novel. but <laughs> So like, but, but when you're normally writing, are you... I guess what I'm I'm getting at is like, do you normally rely on your creative um, impulses to create or do you have practices in place that sort of allow you to create even when you, Jason, aren't feeling creative, right? Like, do you have building blocks in place where you're like, look, I still have to get this done and it has to be good because it's going to be published? Or are you like, you know what? I actually can't, I can't write anything. Like, I can't do a good thing. And so I'm not going to do a thing because I'm not in the moment. And so I have things in place, right? I have all sorts of things. I, I'm, I write as, for me, this is a craft of practice, not necessarily a craft of inspiration. That being said, I'm always inspired. So so what 2020 did was for the first time, it sort of put me in a position to put my money where my mouth was, right? I would have to use those things that I've always had in place mm. because I, I live a curious life and I love, I'm like, I'm high on life all the time. I'm like, right. yo, life is so incredible. There's so many things to learn. There's so many people to meet. You know what I mean? Yeah. 2020 kind of put, you know, put the kibosh on that. And so then it was like, all right, well, you know, work is work. Right. And, and, and technically, you know what you're doing. Like, this is a skill set. And so get to it. You know, things still have to be done How by any means, right? If that means that this, this you know, 85,000 not a word it's 85,000 word novel has to become a 25,000 word graphic novel called stunt boy right which 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 originally was mm. a very a much bigger novel uh with a much older kid as a protagonist then that's what it has to be interesting interesting yeah. huh okay how about editing this book how does mm. that work you send over a run-on sentence you say jason do your thing have fun mm. make art do whatever feels right, given these words that I put down. He sends you back whatever he sends you back. How do you all critique each other? And then also, how does an outside editor, like your editor at Simon & Schuster or whatever, how do they come into play with something like this that's sort of uh, back and forth between you two in different mediums? Jason and I don't critique each other unless it's something that we think is glaring. But I trust my partner, right? And, and I don't make art. I don't, I'm not a painter. Right. And he's not a writer. Right. So so whatever he gives me, it may it may require some conversation. Mm -hmm. But if he can argue for whatever image it is, and if I can argue for whatever language I'm using, then we let it then we let it rock. There is no, you know what I mean? Like it's like any it's like any other partnership where it's like, bro, I'm not gonna micromanage you. You've grown and you're and you're a, a, a gifted artist. I'm not in right. that way. Right. Um and then when it comes to the editors, it's the same thing. It's like, look. We can, if it's something that's just not working from an outside voice or outside my outside eyes, at this point in my career, I'm, I exercise enough humility to know that like, if my editor says something's not working, I trust that it's not working. Mm. I trust my editor because that's her job, right? Right. So I live in a space where I just do the thing I do and let everybody do what they do and trust <laughs> that they know what they're doing, right? I don't rock with nobody who don't know how to do their job. Right. That makes it so much easier on all of us. <laughs> You sound like me when I was planning my wedding because the florist kept asking me, like, what do you want? And I kept being like, I don't know flowers. This is why I'm paying you plenty of money. I'd like it to feel whimsical. Good luck. See you later. Do your job. And the same way for Raul, by the way. The same way for Raul when we did Subway. I ain't had nothing to do with that. Ugh, that art is so good. Novel. Same with Long Way Down graphic novel. Had nothing to do with it. Right, right, Do right. your job. <laughs> <laughs> I love the art and stunt boy so much. Oh, it was so fun. I'm actually sort of sort of thinking about, but I'll just ask you. Since the last time you talked, you've done Stamped, which came out into the world. You'd written it, but it mm -hmm. came out. And then you've had three visual art related texts. Yeah. So I'm wondering what's it like for you as a writer to put your words out and have other people make art in relationship to it, in conjunction with you, in partnership with you. Because that's not what I think of when I think of most authors writing books, right? I think, I mean, that's how I came in the game. Right. Right, it's how I started my career. So for me, the collaboration is, I love it. Mm. And it's not like I'm, it's not like anybody is putting me with folks. These are all people I'm picking, mm. right? I'm choosing who I believe 
uh, are going to work well with me and, and we're going to rock and roll. If it, you know, like if somebody had to force me with somebody, it's a different beast. But the sure. fact that like I, I pick my partners. Um, and so I think it's a wonderful thing. And I think ultimately, you know, my whole thing, Tracy, is I want to be able to be read from from cradle to grave. And so I got to So I want to create enough iterations of, of, of what we call the book. So that it doesn't matter where you are in your in your journey, you can pick something up and be like, "Yo, this is dope," mm. right? So if that means we're gonna do some graphic stuff, we're gonna do some 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 early reader stuff, some chapter book stuff. We're gonna do. I got picture books coming out later this year. I've got Ooh. this adult thing. I told you I wasn't joking on it on Instagram about the, the picture book about death is real. Like that's oh. really happening. yeah, was, <laughs> that's really happening. Can't wait. I thought it was a joke and I was excited, but I was like, "Let me not get my hopes up." No, 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 that's really happening. <laughs> really happening. I've got. You know, middle grade and YA and, and everything in between, nonfiction, poetry, gift books, right? Every right. I want to figure. I mean, look, I think that uh, I think that my biggest skill set at the end of the day would be it would be dexterity, mm-hmm. the, the ability to sort of be malleable and, and to put your hand in all the different spaces. Because I really don't care about what form it is. Language is my jam. Right. Right. That's it. Right. Well, what would you say if you had to categorize is the age for this book? Everybody, they, they categorize it as YA, but it don't feel like right. That. It's not. It doesn't feel like it <laughs> at like all. That. I was reading it. I was like so taken by this book, and I was like, "Well, there's a few reasons. One's because it's a little dark, but also <laughs> I was like, this is not for children. I mean, it is for children, but it's not like for children. It's not only for children. I just ugh, I hate the categorizations. Yeah, the categories they make me crazy. But you got to <sighs> sell it somewhere. You got to categorize. It right, right. I know. But this is for this is this is you know it's, this has got a broad reach. We'll say that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is the thing I really want to talk about with you about this book is about the whole grief of 2020. And you know, for some people, 2020 was acutely about grief. They yeah. lost someone, or they lost their job, or they lost a home. They lost. I don't know, something very specific that they're grieving. And then for a lot of people, it was more sort of abstractly about grief, Uh, grief of a past life, grief of opportunities, all these things. (sighs) I don't know. I don't even know what my question is, Jason. I just sort of want to know how we're in the midst of this pandemic. Like we sort of thought maybe we weren't, but now we're definitely back Mm -hmm. in the thing. And I just feel like we haven't had a chance to grieve in a way you know, I don't think we're going to have a chance to grieve, like where this thing ends, we're gonna have time to process this thing and what we've all been through. So like, how do we feel like we can grieve? Uh, I don't know. I think, <laughs> Help me. I don't, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't. I know. I know. But I need you to do better than that. Okay. I need you to know. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this though. I lost my father at the end of 2020 and he had been dying for a while, right? And what I've learned uh, for me, and everyone's grief story is different, especially when it comes to the loss of a parent. I think it's such a specific thing and everybody does it differently, but I was raised a certain way and I have all kinds, you know, I was raised by like super progressive hippie mom and all that, you know, we've talked about this. It was all things. So like for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a, you know, I didn't feel like I was guillotined. Like it wasn't like that. I didn't feel like somebody had gutted me. It didn't feel that way. Um, and it, it actually felt the opposite. Right? For me, it felt like someone had stretched me and I was now 10 feet tall. It felt like I felt gratitude. And, and don't get me wrong, it's an immense, it's an extraordinary pain and a never ending. Like it's like a hole with no bottom, right? It's, it's, it's intense, but it isn't, but it's disingenuous and, and, and a bit reductive to, to say that that is the only emotion. When I feel so many other things, gratitude, a little bit of laughter, a little, I mean, his death date, his anniversary was the 28th, so he it just passed. And I got to go through some things. With that. I listened to his voice. I got some audio clips. I've got, you know, and just really kind of living in that space, right? So, and, 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 it, and, and because of our relationship and because of the way that we were able to reckon with each other as, as human beings, as men, as father and son, um, as people who had broken a thing and had fixed a thing. All I can think about in this moment in the pandemic is figuring out somehow how to create some sense of relationship with the fact of the matter so that when it is over, my bit, right? Because the only reason that I was able to grieve my father in a healthy way is that, I, is that I accepted who he was 
and he accepted who I was. And then we were able to have honest conversation about our lives together and put it all back together. Right. So that so that in his in his demise, it, there's no reason for me to bang my head against the wall. I can take a deep breath and I can move forward because I left it all on the table. I think I think with with the pandemic, I'm not waiting for the pandemic to end for me to start processing. it. I want to mm-hmm. process it while I'm living in it so that I can understand that for the time being, this is my normal for the time being. Mm-hmm. And when it is over, I will recalibrate to to whatever the next the next normal is. But this is my normal right now. And instead of me running from that, I'd rather accept it so that when it's over, I can grieve it appropriately and move forward. Yeah. You know, that's how I look at it. I don't know if that's going to work, but that's the way I, when I think about my old man, that's the way it worked for us. It was like, yo, I'm going to die. You're going to be okay. Mm. So let's let me write. It was very Mm -hmm. frank conversation. I love you. I'm proud of you. Let's address the things. Ask your questions. Be mad about about this, that, and the third. Yada yada yada. I think with COVID, it's like, look, I'm upset. Mm-hmm. I'm upset with it. I'm upset with. I'm upset that it exists. I'm. I'm. It is hurting people. It's killing people. It's stopping my life. I'm right. But that's the relationship that me and COVID have, and I want to accept it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not mm-hmm. like. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. going to pretend like COVID ain't here. It's here. It's happening. This is my. This is my normal right now. Right. Like, well, it's not normal. It is normal right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is normal right now. Right. Right. Yeah. So interesting. My dad passed away. It'll be 10 years next month, which is sort of a whole different milestone. Right. And I, and I feel like, Oh, it's a long time. It's a long time. time. Um, But I feel like when I think about like grief and time and like how it changes and how it moves and how processing things, you know, in the moment, like you're saying, you're, you're normal. This is the new normal. This is the normal for right now. This is where we're at. And then I think about where I was when that was the normal versus where I am now. I just, I really wonder about what will happen when things change. Then, you know, like once we can process whatever it is we've been through, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, do you think that, um, you know, there's a part of me that that is very sort of hopeful. Another part of me is believes in sort of the human default, right? Mm-hmm. This, you know, I think about 9-11, mm-hmm. right? 9-11 was such a tragic moment yeah. in American history. And we were so kind to each other for about a month and mm-hmm. a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it went back to just being who we are. Right. Right, right. which are... Unfortunately, people who are doing what they have to do to survive for themselves, right, and uh, and willing to step over you in order to do so, right. It's a painful thing to think about, but it is a it is it is a part of who we are, right. It is a, it is a part of our nature, unfortunately. And so, I think that when we come out of it, I think there are going to be those of us who feel just so happy to touch one another. Ugh, I can't wait. Just for a moment, <laughs> but just for a moment. That's <laughs> true. yeah I don't know it's just been such a crazy time and like this book when I was reading it I was overwhelmed uh, by the I'm I'm so emotional (laughs) I'm like really you know sorry everyone I'm sure no one wants to hear someone cry but I'm not gonna cry I'm gonna keep it together but anyways I was so overcome with sort of the the ways in which it made me think about coping and like how we've been coping and and what that looks like and also you know that came up in stump boy a lot too it's a yeah. different kind of it's a different it's a little more direct conversation around coping in stump boy yeah. um i wonder like i i just i'm just so i'm so curious about how we're all coping you know like i i think what i really am asking you is like can you predict the future and tell me that we're all going to be okay and i know that you can't <laughs> but, we, but but i do think we will be i think we'll be okay be okay i just i just think it like it's going to be really interesting to look back in 10 20 years from whenever all of this sort of settles i don't think covid's ever going anywhere i think that science yeah. is pretty clear yeah. um but like from when it settles and it doesn't feel you know like horribly devastating i just wonder like the books that are going to be written about like 
Americans coped like this. And like, this is like, I just am so curious to know how I just am ready for it to be over, obviously, but I'm also even more so ready than ready for it to be over. I really want to know what it's going to say about us, you know, and how we coped. Yeah. But I also think, but I also, I think, and I think this book is trying, what the book is also trying to get at is because it is coping, but it's also trying to get at like the way we cope and our built in coping mechanisms Mm. that, that have become sort of these interesting, um, you know, almost like tuning forks, but Mm. they're these normal things around us, right? Like for instance, right? My father and, 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 you know, to all the people listening, this won't be it. Sorry, guys. It's like, people are like, this is the saddest podcast. But you know, like, I, but you, you know, know what? It's enough. What it is. You, you, know? you saw what you call, what's the, the don't look up? Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes we have to just deal with the facts. Is, you know, yeah. we don't, we're not trying to be Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry. Okay? It is what it is. You know, is I, think, is. I think, I think that one of the greatest <laughs> gifts when it came to coping during COVID was me having to care for my dying father. Mm. It was the strangest, hmm. like, it was like it was an interesting sort of like centering point, right? No matter what I'm hearing on the news, this is happening. Happen, all the things that are happening. I got somewhere to be, and, right. the, and and where I have to be, the person that I have to be with, loves me, right? And right. has something to and has something very important to say to me, and has something very important to give to me, so that I can deal with whatever this might be. Mm. And and that was it was like leveling and sobering and an extraordinary gift. That every day of 2020, I had to care for a dying man. I had to be there and be present, right? And be present right. to, to, to hear him say, this is what I need from you. Here's what I need you to tell your little brother. Here's what I'm expecting of you. Um, no, I'm not in any pain. No, I'm not afraid. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I could look at my father, a man who's dying, and he's like, no, I'm not afraid to die, son. And then me say to him, pop, but you got to hope for the best. And his response being, don't you get it? I've had the best for 50 years. Right. right. Then I can step out into the world with a different perspective. And I can say to myself, man, COVID sucks. But if my old man is unafraid mm-hmm. of whatever, of, of a thing that we do not know is, is going to happen on the other side, right? Whatever that might be or might not be, then I too can be unafraid of whatever I don't know is going to happen mm-hmm. on the other side. And it right. was just really, really amazing. I don't know. I feel so grateful for it now. Yeah. Well, it's nice. I mean, it feels like as far as how these things go. As far as how these things go. Yeah. I mean, shit. This is just really <laughs> feeling very sad today. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I'm so glad. I never. We never get, I mean, I love talking about books, but sometimes like I don't feel like I always get to talk about the things that the books make me feel. But mm-hmm. I feel like because I know you and because you've been on the show before and we've talked so much about you and like your process, I feel like we sort of have this opportunity to talk about That's the fair. feelings part of it. And I feel like this book is big feelings, oh. you know? Like this book is essentially just feelings, right? Like the imagery, the the sparse language, like one of the things I took notes about was I wanted to ask you about how restraint played into your process with making this book? Because you send over these three run-on sentences. Mm-hmm. And then, like, do you have any impulse to, like, oh, this is really cool, let's add more? Like, or or were you comfortable with the limited language? And, like, as someone who also writes really, really long things, like, how do you restrain yourself? Do you have to, do you trust that it's the right amount of words and things? or yeah. Or do you have to, like, practice that? Nah, I think for me, I'm always, you know, the only language, the only words I care about are the right ones. Mm-hmm. But right? can you always find them? Or sometimes, like, isn't it hard? Or no, it's not hard for you because this is your thing. No, it, it's hard. It's hard. It just takes time and intention and patience, right? And it's, I mean, it's no look, every, everything's hard. Surgery's sure. difficult. Well, right. Just, I, but I don't, yeah. right? I don't mean that to say that things aren't hard for you, but like, I know for me, like dancing, ballet is really, really hard, Yeah. but I'm a dancer. So like ballet is hard, but ballet is not hard for me. Like it's hard for you. So I guess my question is more like, is it easy for you to figure out when you've hit the right spot because this is what you do and you understand it? Or do you still struggle with restraint, even though you are, capital J, capital R, Jason Reynolds. I think, I think that 
much like ballet. Okay, let's not use ballet. Well, we can use ballet. I think much like ballet. <laughs> I think like much like ballet, there is the science of ballet. Right. And then there is the spirit of dance. Right. And if you can master both of those things, you are the goat. Right. You're Misty Copeland. You're Misty Copeland, right? Right. Um, so I, I, there is the, the technical ability of, of writing. There's, there's, there's the science of writing. And then there's the spirit of writing. Right. There are a lot of people who are technicians and the work feels flat. There are a lot of people who are all gut and the work lacks technique. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have worked very, very hard to try to be as close to the the nexus point as possible. So and I say that to say, yes, I understand how this works. Yes, I've been doing this for a very long time. But also the greatest thing I've ever my greatest asset is my intuition. Mm -hmm. I know when I know when it's done because I know when it's done. That's it. And I can't explain that. Right. I just know when it's done. I know when the last word is the last word. Hmm. The end. Right. And it's like, that's all I, and that's all I want to say. It's like, it's like, I write the sentence and I'm like, here you go, Jay. This is all I really want to say. It's all I got in me. This is all I want to say. And I know this is all I need to say. Do you ever, I, I guess when you know that it's not the end, like, let's say you have a draft and you know, like you said, you're, you're a novel, you're like, it's not good. It's not done. Right. Uh. <laughs> how much does it like stress you out until you get to that like harmony chord at the end where you're like, oh, I've done it. It's done. Like yeah. it's stressful. It's stressful because I'm hard on myself, you know? Sure. And even like writing that novel, I wrote it, turned it in. My editor is like, nah, and, you know what I mean? Like, this ain't sure. it. you know, and I, and, and you, there's embarrassment for me at least. It's like, God, mm. I think I'm making mistakes that I made 20 years ago. And the reason why is because for with, with being a writer, every single project is a new thing. Mm -hmm. Every single story is a new story. Every It's going to be a new journey, a new experience. Uh, there are going to be new pot, potholes and pitfalls. And some of that some of that stuff is going to make me feel like an amateur again, right? So I'm constantly beginning. I'm constantly learning how to do this. And so, like, it's all good. Is it frustrating? Yes. Is it embarrassing? Yes. Are my insecurities sort of, like, flared up? Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and also... I got to get myself together and be like, bro, you know what you're doing? Like, like you know right. what it is. You know who you are. You know what you do. Are you this person? Nope. Are you that person? Nope. But you, you, and you, yeah. know, how to, and you know how to do that, right? So just right. do that. Do you feel fueled by the sort of embarrassment oh, yeah, yeah, part yeah. of it? Yeah. I, yeah I, got a, I got a nasty chip on my shoulder. Yeah. You, know, much you like and I you. are similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was going to say, much like you, very competitive, you know? <laughs> very yeah. Competitive. Yeah. yeah. Like, like failure is my... This to? Who are we proving it to, though? Well, I just want to be the best. I know, but who, uh, amongst who? Do you ever think about, like, who? who's around? Yeah, amongst the people that I... So, okay, you haven't heard this conversation yet, but everyone who's listening to this conversation will have heard me talk to Cree Miles oh, yeah, last so week. Dr. Cree. Yeah. And we talk about this thing that I do when I run. I don't run that much anymore, but I do this thing when I run called hunting. And all it is, is if I'm out running in public, I find a person that I can see in front of me and I chase them until I can pass them. And then I hunt the next person. So it's about being the best, but it's not about the competition so much as it's about me wanting to feel the feeling of like, I know I did the thing. And so I use outside people to fuel my, comp my competitive vibes but it's not, it's not really about passing the lady in the yellow shorts. It's just that the lady in the yellow shorts is, is the next person I can see. And right. I'm not good about long-term goals. Like if you ask me my five-year plan, I don't have it. I can tell you what I want to accomplish in the next, what the next thing I want to accomplish is. But I'm not one of those people that's like, I can lay out a whole thing. I'm hunting constantly. It's whatever the next like reachable thing is. Mm. So I am competing with people that I think are in my stratosphere now, but it's not about them. It's just a milestone to sort of hit to like pass. That's how my competitive nature works. I can dig it. I mean, for me, it's more like in my mind, there is, and it's not true. I know it's not true for everybody watching, listening. If any of my colleagues are listening, they're gonna be like, Jay, like, but in my mind, in my mind, Tracy, everybody's still sleeping on me. Mm. It's wild. It's it's a wild, and all my mentors and OGs be like, but that's just not. I feel like that too. Yeah, see, that's the <laughs> that's the thing. Right? I mean, I'm not Jason Reynolds, so like, I you, uh, you whatever, man. But I think I think that that's like our nature, maybe. Yeah, I'm just like I'm like they don't get it yet. They I'm like they and my homeboys be like, no, no, everybody gets it. Nah, dog, they don't get it. They don't get it. Okay. Right, but I feel like if you felt like everyone got it and was like fully up on Jason. You would, wouldn't you lose your motivation? Maybe. 
Maybe. I feel like I would. It's like also, you know how like Jordan, Jordan just was like making enemies in his mind. Yes, <laughs> that's that's hunting. That's what it is for me. It's like I don't actually care about you, but I need a nemesis. Like I need that Roxanne Gay nemesis moment, right? It. Like I need it. And I'll make it up. I'll decide someone like sends me a DM that I think is annoying, and I'm like, oh, this is my new nemesis. Yeah, Yo, <laughs> you know, you know, one time I was talking to Kiese, our good buddy Kiese, you know, one time. I was doing some talk with him or something, and we were talking about this. And he said, um, he probably doesn't remember this, but he said, um, yo, I just want to make sure, like, I ain't going to be, I don't got to be, you know, the, the the best, right? But I got I want to make sure that I'm in that conversation. When everybody say mm. my name, when, when it comes up and they start naming, and they say Jasmine, you know, or they say, you know, this person or that person, and he wants, he wants his name to be in that conversation. I, sure. I feel him. Yeah, me too. I it, you know what I mean? I want my name to be, and for me, I feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle just because, and you know, we've talked about this, it's because I'm fighting the battle of of, of children's literature and then climbing that mountain. So it's like, right. oh, well, does it does, does he count? Right. Does he, well, but does I think, he count? I think what's so dumb about that for me is that that is the whole, what we were talking about earlier, like you have to find a way to sell books, right? And so like you're being pigeonholed in this place even though your pros are some of the best, but it's like, oh, it's a separate category. It's not a separate category, but it it is a separate category because of the way that like, you know, not to sound too crazy, but like capitalism makes it a separate category, right? Oh, like up to marketing the, money. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But like, that's why you're not in the conversation in the same ways because people are taught to think of you as something different. It's not because... Like if you laid out the text and no one said this or that, like you're gonna be hard pressed to find yeah, people who are not, writing better. Yeah. No, it, no we, I know. You know. I know what you're this saying. To be true, it just makes me angry. I know. So, I, so I know what you're saying, but I'm, I'm just saying. I'm on a warpath, Tracy. Yeah. I'm on a warpath. I'm with you. I've got a pitchfork. <laughs> I'm hunting in the name of Jason Reynolds. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu 
slash podcast. Okay, I have to ask about hands. I know you didn't draw, but I need to know about hands because there's so many hands in this book. And I want to know if you guys talked about hands at all and if there was any hand conversation. I have no idea. No idea. Nah, I mean, you know, Jason is like, I know he loves to draw them. Okay. And he always has. Like, I know that's it. Okay. I mean, he was, I mean, I got like, I have a piece of his work at, at my mom's house. That's just a hand. I have a piece downstairs in my house. That's a hand. Right. Okay. Like he's, he's just loves to draw hands, you know what I mean? Okay. But okay. I don't know if they have any significance. Okay. And then also the title, because when I read the title in the book, I had to go back yeah. and like read the whole section again, because I was like, <laughs> I'm feeling things. <laughs> I'm feeling things. I don't want to tell people because it was such like a lovely moment, but how did you sort of land on that as a title? You know what? So that is one of those, it, this is such a, an interesting story. It's one of those stories where like we finished the book and it was untitled and we worked with the editor. We, we kind of went through it. And, and it was one of those things where like you could go through that book and you could pick any line. There's so many things that could have been plucked out, you know, but our editor actually was like, what do we think of? Uh, And she was sort of pulling out that section and was pulling out Mm. that section and and ain't burned. And, you know, it's actually not a direct quote. It's not a direct quote. That's why I went back and read it because I was like, oh, did I miss a thing? Yeah, it's not a direct quote, but uh, but it's kind of perfect. I love it. It's perfect. I love (laughs) it so much because what is so great about it is when you hear the title, you're sort of like, Hmm, I wonder what this could mean. And then when you read it in the book, I mean, yeah. I just, I, again, getting emotional. Okay, we're going to sort of transition. Okay. I unfortunately do not get to ask you my favorite question about what word you can't spell right because, and here's a true story, you are the first person I ever asked that question to in 2019. And originally I asked it on like the two-part episode because that's what you did. But then I moved it over to this sort of like short stacks episode. But now since you've already done it, we know that your word that you can't spell is restaurant. Like you were the first. Uh, You, Angelina Jolie, Quinn Tarantino. See, upper echelon of can't spell. You're in that conversation. We all struggle with it. It's (laughs) the stupidest spelling, I'm telling you. I think Jill too, right? Jill Busby said that also. Yeah, (laughs) Jill. Yeah, it's like a very elite club of people who can't spell restaurant. And <laughs> fortunately for me, I am, that's like the one word I can spell, which I always laugh and I'm like, mm, smarter than Jason, smarter than Quentin Tarantino. That's hilarious. <laughs> but we have not actually officially in public on the record talked about snacks. I know a little bit about your snack life. Right. It disgusts me, but <laughs> let's, no, talk let's, do it. It. let's talk about it. All right. And this time I'll tell the whole truth. Okay. I love snacks. I have a terrible sweet tooth. And that's the reason why I try not to keep snacks in my house. Um, Because I do try to live a healthy life, right? So that's the thing. I try to stay healthy, but I got a net. As a matter of fact, downstairs in my house, there are 70, 70 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. 70. Why do you have so many? (laughs) (laughs) Because my manager's daughter uh, is a new Girl Scout. Okay. She's trying to get competitive. And and she's trying to win. And I was like, oh, you winning this thing. Ain't no way. So I was like, just give me like 70 boxes. But I do this every year with whatever little girl come up to me in the street. Like, oh, Mr. Jason, I'm selling Girl Scout cookies. I'm like, give me all the Girl Scout cookies you have. You know what I mean? Do you do that for just the first girl that finds you? Or do you do it for every child that comes up to you? As many as possible. Got it. I just, I just buy 50 at a time. And what is your go-to flavor? Samoas. Okay. Samoas. I like Samoas. I like thin mints. And uh, and I like um, tree foils. Which ones are those? Uh, tree foils. That isn't that the uh, shortbread joints? Oh, okay. Like I don't the know. Classic. The classic. The blue. The blue box. Right. Yeah, the blue box. The blue box. Yeah, I like the red box. The the tagalongs or whatever. And I is like that the, the peanut butter joints. Yeah, I like the peanut butter ones. Those are cool. Yeah, but you know what? This is going to sound crazy to everyone who knows me. I'm actually not obsessed with Girl Scout cookies. I don't really rock with them that hard. I like them, but like I'm not buying. I would probably tell a Girl Scout. I'll just give you like $300 and I want like two boxes and just, you know, what, I mean, double sell. Tracy, it's like cracking them joints. It's something, it's <laughs> like no one is able to, you got to eat a whole box at a time. See, I can, I can eat one. Like I, it does, it's nice. not, and like, let's not pretend that I don't have a serious snacking problem. It's Man. just, that's not the one for me. 
Like I, if, if it's a goldfish, it's one of those huge boxes and it's a wheat. So you're like, a savory snacker. No, I like sweets too. I, have you never heard of my pescatarian? It's goldfish and Swedish fish together. <laughs> it's a delicious snack. Um, <laughs> I love a gummy. I love a donut. I like a cookie. I just don't love a Girl Scout cookie. I love all those things too, but I can't eat them. Yeah. Because well, I, I'm eating, I, I ate beets today. See, you're getting it. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have an addictive personality. And yeah, it's just all bad for me. So I can't, I just can't. I try to keep them away from me. Well, that's the truth. Okay. So I, 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 I good I like for you for having restraint, but we're tired of your broccoli and oh. your and Clint Smith's Clementines and all these healthy people. I'm like, <laughs> yo, get you know, out of my uh, face. Uh, Mary got the apples, yo. Mary loves apples. I know. But Mary also loves other snacks and she talks freely about that. However, I did have to get in her face yesterday about, about the apples. The I was apple. like, the rating, the rating system is very skewed. It's yo. six and up. <laughs> I'm like, look, Mary, then just do it on a five-star rating. Yeah, Why are you doing it out of 10? First of all, how about the fact that Mary's entire Instagram has become apples? The whole thing, apples. everything is just about apples now. Yeah. Know? I mean, I love it. I'm here for it. I, I love a passion with food, even if it's a broccoli or an apple. Listen, listen if anybody can make apples cool, it's Mary H.K. Troy. That's true. That's <laughs> she a can fact. make anything that's, cool. That's a She's fact. The she can make anything cool. Anything cool. <laughs> she is the coolest. Um, okay. We sort of did that question out of order, but can you just tell us about how you write? Like how many hours a day? Is it every day? Yeah. Is there music? What kind of music? We talked about snacks, beverages, rituals, candles, anything mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, I um it's changed. It's changed. Mm-hmm. 2020 did that too. Right? Okay. It used to be that I would wake up every day, 637. I'd be and I'd exercise and then I'd start writing around eight o'clock, eight thirty. And I would pretty much work in my office until about one or two o'clock, just kind of rocking okay. and rolling. I don't do music unless it's instrumental. I do do pod. I can write with podcasts because I like the sort of. You can. Yeah, you know oh why? My God. There's a reason why though. There's a reason why I can write with podcasts because I was used to, you know, the earlier parts of my life and career. You know, we all you buy into the whole idea of the coffee shop. Oh, I see. And coffee shop pre- presents sound voices, yeah, not yeah. music. Not I mean, some music, but mostly voices. And there's something. And Tracy, honestly, I think that there's something to hearing the a voice that is not your own to help drown out all the voices that are yours. So then you hmm. can focus on the one you actually need, right? Because when I sit at the page, I hear all it's everything is happening in my head, and like having that one white noise that is a voice almost like distills and taps down all of the sort of mm. extemporaneous voices in my head so I can hear the one I need to do the work. So I do a podcast sometimes. Um, but not this one. You sit and listen. And no, no, no. I sit and listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sit okay. and listen. I sit and listen. Great. Because I would be deeply offended if you were like, I no, listen every week and I found out you were listening while you were trying to drown out. <laughs> no, no, no. But also, but also, but also there, there have been times where I've had this podcast on and it's great because there are moments where like I'll be working and then, I'll hear you ask some question and I'm like, huh? And then I'll stop. I'll, I'll like take a break. It'll force me to sort of take pauses. Mm-hmm. And depending upon who you have on your show, it also kind of drives the work because you have a lot of really interesting people that I really respect. So it just kind of depends. You know what I mean? It depends. Okay. But as long as you're listening. Nah, usually it's like this American life. It's like, you know, <laughs> okay. Ira Glass's voice is perfect for like this kind of thing. Interesting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, but, but now I pretty much do notebook and a pad and pen. Oh. Um, usually I work in a different space in my home now. I don't work in my office. It's overcome with books and like it's just claustrophobic in there now. And so now mm-hmm. I'm, I'm upstairs in my home, which is a lot more space. It feels like a we work almost up here and it's great. I also have an office outside of the house that I go to. Um, I just got one of those. Yo, it's oh important. My God. It's so important. That's <sighs> so where I'm good. supposed to be today, but stupid COVID ruined my day. It's so, so good. I so I go to my office yeah. and, and I still work about three or four hours a day. Um, but it's just it's just a different process. It's a little weird. Do you work on the weekends? Not anymore. But I used to work seven days a week. Yeah. That's one of my 2022 resolutions. No more working on the weekends. Nah, take some time to yourself. Yeah, I need it. Okay. Talking about Jason Reynolds, capital J, capital R. That's what I say when I mean like, you know, important Jason, not like our friend Jason. Um, I want to know if there's anything that you have not yet done professionally and keep it professional 
that you hope to do soon? <laughs> yeah, but it feels weird to like talk about it. <laughs> like it's, okay, well, this is good. You know, good. You know, get it out of your system. I mean, I think I think that <laughs> I think that there are things that I would love to. There are people that I would love to talk to, and mm. you know, I mean, I you know, I think one, I want to finish this novel. Okay. Um, For people who don't know, this is your adult novel. This is my adult novel, quote unquote. This is my yeah. adult novel. I'm, I, I have to finish it. I'm feeling really good about. I started over, so okay. I, I literally have one sentence of this novel written. Oh my gosh! As of two days ago. Oh, um, I started. Started over. I'd written, you know, 300 pages and now we're back at page number one, which is good, which is good. But I, I have a good sort of like I'm in a good space. Okay. I know I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know what I want it to sound like. I know how I want it to feel more importantly. Mm. So I got it right. I want to finish the novel. I want to. So that's primarily first and foremost. I want to. I'm working on a long way down the, the script mm. for the movie. Actually, I turned it in yesterday. Yeah. Uh, so I hope that that gets cleared and we're done with that and we can kind of green light that. Um, I've got Stump Boy TV show to work on. Oh. Uh, to write. Yeah. I got to work on that. So like, these are the things that I'm, that I want to do professionally. And then, but there also are some things that like, that most, you know, I know all the writers are like, oh, we don't really care about this acknowledgement or that acknowledgement. You know what I, I but that's just, I do. Right. Okay. Like, I, you know, you know what I would love to be considered for at one point in my life, and I know it's like a really weird thing. I would love for somebody to say, "Yo, we're gonna give Jason not even the award, just like we're gonna give him a, a nod and acknowledgement from the Pulitzer Foundation mm. or his children's work." Got it. But that's not a thing. Yeah, that right. The New Yorker, thing. the New Yorker was on the list, and I got that happened right, and I'm so grateful for the, the, that profile. Mm. Like that was cool. You know what I mean? And that was dope. Because even that was a, a shot in the dark for, mm -hmm. for the New Yorker to write about that work, my, my, my kids' work. Right. It's such a, an anomaly. That was like by Ruman Alam, right? Yeah, Ruman Alam. So yeah, good. yeah. So good. And so, like, that was a huge deal because they don't do that. Right? right. And I'm thinking, like, well, who else don't do that? Right. So that we can figure out how to make that happen. Yeah. Like, why should, like, why can't I get a nod? You know, when me and Jason first wrote the very first book that we did together which was never published. We published it ourselves when we were teenagers called Self, right? A big coffee, big coffee table book that we- Oh, like, this is the book that was like $100. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, you know, do you know that we sent that book to the Pulitzer Foundation? You did. I because we it. just didn't know any better. You were like, yeah. And we were like, hey, we're submitting this, right? And do you know they reached out to us and, and were like, hey, can you guys send us four more copies? Oh. And that alone was enough. Mm. We were like, oh, my God, they're, they, maybe they're considering it. And they probably weren't. They probably were like, this is a dope book to just keep. This is interesting. <laughs> they were like, did you guys read the instructions? You have to send five <laughs> copies. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> we're like, oh, that's great. But like, there's something that, I, that I, if I'm being honest, like that's like a pie in the sky type of deal. Sure. Like, I'd love to be acknowledged with people with a Pulitzer Foundation. Be like, yo, shout out to the kid, man. Well, I want you to win the award now. I mean, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I mean, I want that too. But yeah. I just. Sure. It just feels like such a shot in the dark when it comes to the work that I've done, just because I don't know if that work is seen as capital L to those people. Sure. Sure. That's all. Yeah, I get it. Other than that, I'm good. Professionally, I mean, I've done my thing. Well, you're not done. I'm not done. But I know, I just but don't the way that you said that sounded so like, I've done my thing, yeah. I'm going to retire. Like, no. No, I'm not going to retire. You got to stay retire. relevant and in the kids' business until my kids are old enough to feel like mommy knows someone cool because you are my first shot. Okay. So <laughs> there too. So I feel at like least at least like I was going to say five or six, I'm hoping they're going to be reading at an advanced level. Uh, you know, stunt boy feels like they could get there soon, <laughs> like in like five, five or six. Yeah. So you got to stay doing things, but also you have that kid's book that you said, this kid's book about death and that could be yeah, relevant yeah, for them sooner. <laughs> Yeah, the kids look about death is coming out soon. And, you know, that'll be they'll be ready to rock for that. Yeah. But I think, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I don't plan on going anywhere. And I love kids lit. Even if the adult thing happens, like I just like writing for kids. It's all good. Um, but if for some reason it's like, well, I don't have anything else to say, I'm okay with my contribution. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm at peace. I'm at peace with my contribution to right. this particular, to this game and this for this generation. Well, in I'm that right. sense, you've done more than enough, I feel. I feel yeah, like I'm, you've I'm, done more than enough. I've done my job. 
Yeah. Okay. For people who love this book, Aim for Know the Right, what books might you recommend to them that I'll maybe in conversation with? Oh, ain't nothing in conversation with this joint. Oh, how dare you? Something's <laughs> in conversation. Get creative. Use that creative process. <laughs> no. All right. Let me think. Let me think. What books are in conversation? Read, get some Frank O'Hara. That's some old school. Okay. Some old school stuff that they would use. They were doing words and, and image back in the day. Uh, it's interesting. Get some, uh, what's that June Jordan joint? It's a June Jordan book where she does it. Because the hard part about this book is that I could say like, oh, you could read this and it'll be about the similar topic or a similar mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. But I think what makes the book the book is the collaboration. Yeah. Right? Like the lifting of the language uh, with the text and with the art. And it's not even and it's not even really illustrative. It's not like the yeah. art is illustrating the language. It's not like that. At it's all. more like it's more like the art and the language together are sort of expanding are, are expanding the landscape to have a more nuanced conversation about what it is that we live through. Right. Both things are telling, are telling the right. same story, but they're both telling a story. Right. The art um, and the language are in conversation with each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't really know what I will put it with. Okay. I, I just don't know. Other than Frank O'Hara, other than what's Langston Hughes' joint, um, uh, Sweet Fly Paper Life, Sweet Fly Paper Life, other than June Jordan's joint with the, with the, the text in it, maybe Honey I Love, mm-hmm. Eloise Greenfield. I bought that for my kids because of you. That first Beautiful poem book. is makes me. Uh, Mm, so, uh, good. so good. I like to read it really like I'm performing. Like I like to like really be like, honey, I love. <laughs> Maybe honey, I love is up there. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. I, I hate to be that way, but I'm like, I just don't know how many of this kind of thing. Yeah. Well, you just gave four but, examples. That's very. Good. If you want to read a weird book, if you want to read something experimental, yeah, sure. For kids, for kids, I would say Jan Teller's uh, "Nothing." Okay. Yo, it's a book. Is she so Jan Teller won the the Prince Award back in the day. It's a book about existentialism. Oh. Yeah, it's a book about <laughs> existentialism. It's called "Nothing," and okay. it is talk about experimental work for children like it's love love, yeah. love love this is very exciting to me oh and maybe uh platero eo by juan ramon jimenez old school it's old school stuff i'm giving okay. you like old school i love it we love we love a backlist we love an old school what do you hope that people will keep in mind as they read this book that we're okay that we're okay you know i, I liken it sometimes to Swimming. Are you a swimmer, Tracy? You strike me as a swimmer. No. I mean, really? I can swim. In high school, my boyfriend was a swimmer, so I learned mm-hmm. how to swim. But I really struggle with that kickflip. Just really struggle with it. <laughs> and I don't like to be the person who's doing the wall turn. I got you. And so, no. I okay. don't. I can. I don't. Got it. Okay. So You here. do. I know you do. I do. But I here, love, but you're here. laughing at me. No, I just because you're like, it's the kickflip. That's what it is. That's what it is. But here's the thing about the reason I bring it up is because swimming, in, in relationship to this book, is because swimming is something that human beings are naturally meant to do. Mm. One, because we're born when we live in sort of fluid until you know until we're born, uh, we can be born into the water, as we mm. all know. Uh, if you throw an infant into the water, it will it will float. It will it will literally swim its way back to the to the to the, to the water. And the reason why is because first and foremost, uh, our bodies are outfitted with airbags, mm. right? Which are the lungs, right? We literally have biological airbags in our bodies that are trying to save our lives, not just through breathing, but through flotation. Mm. Number two, number two. That what makes swimming difficult for most people is that the feeling of being out of breath, it causes people to immediately look for wherever they think the air is. Mm. Right. So when you're swimming and you got your chin tucked, the moment you feel like you're out of breath, you lift your head to the light because you want to try to gasp for air. And the moment you do that, because of biology, the body sinks Mm. immediately, which means that in order for you to maintain uh, safety, all one has to do is keep their heads and keep your chin tucked and your body will stay floating. And then you can get to the wall and get to the lip and lift yourself out of the water. Right. What this book is meant to say to us is that one, we will make it because we are built to survive it. And number two, in order to do so, 
we have to be careful about gasp about like gasping and grasping for it. Mm. We have to just kind of like keep your chin tucked, pay attention to the things around you, keep your keep your head mm-hmm. right, keep your head, take your deep breaths, don't panic, mm. right, and you will stay afloat, right? Don't that, panic. That's what, you know, try not to try not but, to panic. No, I know, but don't panic is like it's like when someone tells you to calm down. It's like I'm not panicking. <laughs> It, but, yeah. it, but you know, but you know, but you know, you know, but the truth is that, but we are panicking. Of course. I'm always okay. panicking. And, and it's a, and, it, and it's a natural thing to panic, but it rarely ever helps us. It's true. Right. It's and true. that's the hard part, right? It's well, like, but like, yeah, I mean, not to talk about stump boy or whatever, but like anxiety is just panic. Anxiety <laughs> and anxiety is the feeling of panic. It doesn't yeah. make it doesn't mean that you're panicking. It's the feeling of panic, right? So like when I have anxiety, so so it's like when I have anxiety, I can feel panic in my body, but mm-hmm. I don't make panic decisions. Oh, I see what you're saying. See what I'm saying? Like I can feel the panic in my body. Because the danger aspect. Because then it becomes dangerous, right? Right, right, right. right, right. Like, like I feel panic. I feel afraid because I know that danger is here. I know that something is happening or I know that this might be going on or someone might be harmed or I might be harmed. But the moment that I act out of panic, now I put myself in a crosshairs in a very different way, right? Sometimes it takes a moment to take a beat, survey the land, right? Is my baby okay? Is my, right? Like when you, when, when my father was dying, when my father was dying, uh, you know, we were going to the hospital, right? My stepmother would be in there and she'd be all messed up and a doctor would come in and my older brother would be all messed up, little brother all messed up. Everybody's having a hard time. Doctor come in the room. You guys have any questions? This is a year and a half before his death. He's like going in and out of the hospital. Do you guys have any questions? You know what my you know what my questions are? Hey doc, brain, heart, lungs, kidney, liver. Like like are these things functioning? Yeah, these things are functioning. Oh, then he's alive. Mm-hmm. Are they are these things healthy? These things are healthy. Okay, well then he'll actually be alive for a little while. And as long as these things are functioning, how he's are alive. those your questions when you are a person that has anxiety? Because I understand my position in the family. I see. Right. Despite the fact that my insides are going ballistic, when I look around the room at my family, I have to take my role I see. in the family to do the thing to make sure that we're good. Because everyone else's questions are the panic questions. What you're everyone saying. else's questions is, okay. you see what I'm yeah. saying? So okay. I got it. I was like, yes. what is he saying? Because I have this experience. I have nervous flyer, hate turbulence. But one time I was on a flight, very choppy. And the woman next to me was so stressed out <laughs> that I got so calm. <laughs> Because you I was know, like, you know, yo, I'm a, I'm a bad flyer too. Same thing. I'm a, I'm a nervous flyer. So you know what had to happen? One day, same same thing, right? I, I've had panic attacks on airplanes, right? Mm-hmm. Where they've almost had to ground the plane, right? <laughs> one time, one time, uh, they did ground the plane, not because of me, but because of a terrible, because of mechanical issues. They ground the plane. <laughs> I go to the bar. I, I go to the bar with the pilot, and I say, "Hey, brother, explain to me what turbulence is." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, and he broke it down. He said, look, man, you on a boat, you're hitting waves on the boat. The boat's fine, right? I've had but someone explain this to me, too. Bumpy road, so, old truck. It's like, so then, so, 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 so it, so it, it wasn't helpful, but you know what was helpful? He said, if you wanted to go away or you want to feel better about it, get a window seat and look out the window. He said, every time you hear, you, get, you, you feel a bump, look out the window. And what you'll see when you look out the window is the plane still in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. plane is, nothing's happening. And once you can confirm nothing is happening, then I can calm down, yeah. right? And so, I, so over the years, I've had to work, work on like, how do I, call, how can I get a, get this under control so that I don't make rash decisions and right. I can and I can manage my life. This book is about that. It's about like, yo, it's not saying that we shouldn't be concerned. It's saying that like, there are still things to be grateful for. There are still mm-hmm. places for us to find refuge, and those places are in the minutia and in the mundanity of our everyday lives, in our in our children, and in our families, and in this in in our dirty closet, and in this our the dinner that you burned, and in, right, like right. like that is the beauty of our lives in this particular this particular present moment, and that's and that's more than enough to get us through. Right, right, yeah. Okay, I have just one more question. I always end like this. <laughs> Sorry. So I should have just ended it there, but I, you know, love a ritual, love a routine, can't break from it. Anxiety, got to have benchmarks. Um, If you could have one person dead or alive, read this book, who would you want it to be? My father. Yeah. I felt like we were coming to that, but didn't want to put words in your mouth. 
and I think he would appreciate it. I feel like it's probably this is probably a lot of the things that he told me. Mm. You know, he, you know, there were things that he said, like that thing about like, oh, I've had the best. You mm-hmm. know, I've had the best. Or he said, uh, "It's wild." He was like, he was like, "Yo, what's the worst that could happen?" <laughs> said he said, "I'm going into surgery. If I don't make it out, good on me. And if I do make it out, good on me." Right. Right. Like what's the worst that what's the what's the actual worst thing that could happen to me? You know, like these these sort of really sobering sort of perspective shifts that he just understood. He told me he when he was dying, he went to the nurse came in the room and he told the nurse, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to have to teach me how to do this. Never died before. Mm -hmm. I only know how to live. I only know how to live. You're going to have to help me out with the dying part. And she said, don't worry, your body will do the work for you. He said, that's good to know. That's good to know. Right. Like he's just like and I think these are the things that um, he would have read this and been like, uh, you get it. Mm-hmm. It's the small things. Right? You get it. So shout out to the old man. Shout out to your dad. Shout out to my dad. We're talking shout about to your kids. Um, great. I'm crying. So you did it. Congratulations. <laughs> you made it work. <laughs> you got us here. Uh, congratulations. Um, everybody, the book is out now, wherever you got your books. It's called Ain't Burned All the Bright. It's by Jason Reynolds and Jason Griffin. The Jasons, go get it. Enjoy it. Read it to yourself. Read it to your kids. Read it with your kids. Read it out loud. I Oh, I, I have one more question. It, I've, this is really a personal question and I'm gonna, it's gonna have a follow-up depending on the answer. Is there a physical version of the book where your words are actually like cut out and pasted on his art? Does that exist? Uh, they, it is, it is and, and it, yes, in individual pages, yes. So he, so the way he did it, he cut out every single word and then he taped them to every single page so that if I had to make edits, he could just, mm. he could just move them around, move the words around, but yes. Okay, so then the follow-up question is, may I have it? Thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I will tell you, no, but, 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 but what I will tell you is in May, we are planning a big event around this book. Oh, cool. And part of that event is all the pages, the actual pages will be there. And I think some are going to be like raffled. Oh, cool. But where gonna, is that going to be in DC or is it going to be virtual? Uh, both New York and DC. Okay, well. We're going to do one in New York and one in D.C. I know you're in California. Yeah, send some pages to L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Jason, you're the best. I always love talking to you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for talking about things we don't always get to talk about. You're just a joy. Uh, It's always a pleasure. I'm I'm proud of you. We're all still rooting for you as usual. Mm. You've had some big wigs on there. Not as big as Kiese Lehman, but big, you know, I mean. Not as big as Jason Reynolds. (laughs) He's fine. Honestly, it's like. It's an honor, but it's not at all what makes me freak out. But, yeah, you know. for sure. Uh, thank you. Everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to Jason for being our guest. Also, a huge, huge thank you to Lisa Moraleda for making this all happen and for being so flexible with scheduling issues due to COVID. Remember, the Stacks Book Club pick for January is Passing by Nella Larson. We will be discussing the book on the podcast on Wednesday, January 26th with Cree Miles. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. And our theme music is from Tagirages. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 